A lot to go over on this episode of AEW Dynamite. So let's get the review going on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. Ralph, we start with the first reveal of the two Jokers as Samoa Joe faces Johnny Elite. A lot of people, you know, they popped for this. I'm not sure if it was because they were excited to see the artist formerly known as John Morrison, Johnny Nitro, Johnny Mundo, Johnny whatever nickname you want to throw him. Or they thought it was Johnny Gargano with a new name and it ended up being someone else. But what what did you take of that reveal? Uh, well, I can't imagine a majority of the ref- wrestling fans being disappointed with this. I am not a huge John Morrison fan. I think he's talented. I just feel like it's always been the same guy. I, I don't I, I don't think there's been a ton of progression in his character um you know just kind of throwing the name of said show at the end of johnny or whatever you know mm-hmm. might as well be uh i don't know maybe maybe johnny housen maybe johnny hook <laughs> maybe johnny hooker housen <laughs> maybe but that being said um yeah actually you brought up a good point and i didn't even think of that uh was the pop just because they saw the johnny elite and thought it was johnny gargano Either way, I don't think that this was disappointing, especially for the fans in, in, in the audience there, because uh, there was a good reaction. So for what it's worth, Johnny Elite, Johnny Nitro, Johnny Mundo, Johnny Impact, Johnny Johnny, whatever he want to call him, it was a good surprise for everybody, I think. Yeah, but I think the biggest surprise of it all was if you checked AEW on TV, Twitter, they actually posted that Johnny Gargano yeah. was the Joker. And of course, after it was caught and people spotted it, that tweet has then been deleted. But, Mm. you know, if you clicked on this thumbnail on YouTube, you see the tweet as part of the thumbnail. So obviously the confusion even tricked them. So they thought maybe it was Johnny Gargano as well. But nonetheless, let's get into the actual match itself. I thought it actually started off a little bit slow, Ralph. And right before the picture picture break is when it started to actually get together and actually build up here. So uh, Johnny Elite, Hits a move off the top rope, goes to the commercial break. We had a few near falls coming out of the commercial break, but ultimately Samoa Joe wins with the mus- muscle buster. And then after the match, a running theme for AEW Dynamite this week is just stuff happening after each match. In this case, it was Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Santam Singh attacking Samoa Joe, hitting him in the shoulder with a lead pipe. Incoming in for the save is Chuck Taylor, Trent, and Rocky Romero, and they chase out. Uh, the former trio in this situation here. I thought the match was a decent opening. Aftermath, like I said, is an ongoing theme for the rest of the night where they're trying to progress storylines, I understand, but is it too much in one segment? Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, have you ever seen one of those old westerns when they're going to draw guns and they kind of stare at each other for an exaggerated period of time and you get the clock that starts ticking? Maybe yep. there's a little tumbleweed. There's some guy that spits in a bucket and it makes that ting noise. Yeah. You've seen that a couple of times? Right. Yeah. Can you explain to me why faction, generic faction number one, standing on one side of the ring with one lead pipe and one seven foot man, and then generic faction number two standing on the other side of the ring. Now, mind you, they have three chairs, three chairs, face to face, silence. Nothing happened. There's yeah. four weapons and a seven foot man in the ring and nobody makes a move. They charge to the ring to make the save. My God, here comes the cavalry. There's horns, everything. 
Nobody does shit. They stare at each other. That was terrible. Terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible. Too much going on. I, I agree with you on that. The match itself, I liked. Um, Samoa Joe. Chops were nasty. Chops, were, chops yeah. reminded me of Walter. I'm all wound up because we just started. This is our first review in what? Six like, months? Six months or so, yeah. So we got, we got to make sure that we give everybody a little bit of something. We're going to make people happy. We're going to make people pissed off. Thankfully, we're not going to talk about Orange Cassidy. So that's a good thing. Uh, Samoa Joe, lethal chops, lethal kicks. Johnny Mundo, two spots I hated. I'll tell you right now. Okay. The cartwheel into a clothesline. Yes. Not needed. Not needed at all. Just do a normal clothesline. It's flashy, I guess, a little bit. The spot where he did the flip right before the break that went to commercial. You weren't a fan of that spot? It's not that I didn't like the move itself. I didn't like the fact that he told Samoa Joe, he ushered him into position at least three times, pointing mm-hmm. where he needed him, pushing, saying, hey, move over a little to the right. These guys know that wrestling is, is predetermined, but hey, just get, you're not in spot. Like, <laughs> come on, man. That, that could also be the problem of the camera work, like exposing it too much because the camera Whatever. work has done that a lot. Right. Where obviously these guys are calling on the fly and some of these matches and obviously it was it was more obvious in this match than other matches. But the camera work and the director in in the in the booth has to spot that out and be like, all right, he's trying to call a spot. Let's go to a different camera where maybe we don't actually see him directing the move. Yeah. So yeah. I, I you gotta put blame on the director and the, the camera crew on that as well. Um but I think one spot that I think a lot of people are talking about is the 450 splash that <sighs> Johnny Elite was short on, but good say by Shivani by pointing it out like, oh, Samoa Joe was just a little too far, didn't get quite the hit on it, and could not get the the one, two, three after that hit. So yeah, that's a good spot there for Tony Shivani on commentary. Now uh, speaking a, a, of com- a, rare, a rarity for Tony Shivani with a good call for once. So right, but speak. Speaking of commentary, Ralph, I think the commentary was great in this next match. And the actual match itself was really good in its own yeah. right. Hangman Page, the AEW world <laughs> champion against, I know I'm going to butcher this name because I couldn't exactly hear it right on television. Kasuke Takeshita, I think is how you say it. And I'm sure someone can spell it phonetically for me in the comment section because I know I butchered it. But whatever his name is, that guy is really, really good. From the little bit of time I've seen him in the ring, it's only the second time I've seen him wrestle. The other time being against Jay Lethal on Rampage, but man, did he get some shine in this match. I it's mean, only a matter of weeks. He'll have a couple more matches and he will be the next pillar. Oh my God, this is the next, the, the, the fourth pillar. Get rid of that guy. He's the next <laughs> one, so. Right, um, but, but go ahead. No, I, I couldn't agree more because originally there were two things that, that I thought were great about this match. The match itself was, was very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. Originally going into it, I said to myself, okay, we're going to get another one of these long, drawn-out, um, exaggerated, competitive matches with the heavyweight champion and a guy that is not well-known to most fans, unless mm-hmm. you're a hardcore fan. Yeah. So I went into this with a bad mindset. Two things saved that. One, the match was awesome. That guy whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce (laughs) is very good. And the match itself was very good. The second thing, CM Punk was able to do something that 
I can't remember the commentary team in AEW doing ever. And he was able to set the stage for a fan like me going into a match with a negative mindset where all he said was, hey, you know, they asked me, why did I wrestle John Silver in some random match in New York? Because I'm trying to get reps. That's what Adam Page is doing. He's trying to get something that simple. I was like, that was brilliant. He Mm -hmm. explained it. It didn't matter about rankings. It didn't matter about anything else. We're trying to get reps in. It's like if you go, if you're a boxer and you take some exhibition matches or whatever, and you go in uh, an MMA fighter and they take some jujitsu stuff on the side to just kind of keep themselves sharp. I thought that was great. And the match yep. itself was very good. A subtle little nod to uh, Sami Zayn there, El Generico. A couple yep. of moves that were his there, the Blue Tiger Bomb, the Aluva Kick. Well, maybe not his moves, but moves he's known for. Right. And Last of course, Rides. The- yep. Tombstones. Uh, I thought it was great. Great match. Caught right. me by and surprise. I think what also helped with CM Punk on commentary was the fact that he was just analyzing every single move Hangman Page had is like, yeah. this is the reason why Punk is out. Not just because he's the opponent for Hangman and he's just commentating on that said match. No, he's actually scouting Hangman Page and he's actually telling you move for move what he's doing, why he's doing it. and like the effectiveness of each move. It was yep. absolutely brilliant. Like he basically has hangman page. He literally said this too. He's got him where he wants him. Right. After he hits the GTS, which he, he does give a little, you know, jab at Kenta there by saying, Oh, I have no problem. Uh, you, him using the move, but I know someone might complain about it being Kenta with the whole, uh, CM Punk should pay me royalties over that. But I felt like, you know, some people might have gone into this thinking, you know, Hangman might look weak in this match after facing a guy like Tatsuke to to I I'm just going to stop pronouncing it. KT, that's what I'll call him now. There you KT go. until I can figure out how to say his name correctly. But let me tell you. What this did is expose Hangman Page for what his character has been ever since the start of AEW. And that is he is a head case. Everything is mental with him. He's just like always in his head, whether it's, you know, the stuff that happened with the elite, the stuff with the dark order. Now this, where he thought he could get the GTS hit uh, and get punk pissed off, but punk just laughed it off and hangman just stormed out. Like what the hell do I have to do? And yeah, that is going to be a, a huge part of this match at Double or Nothing, I think. And I got really invested for the first time in this story. Outside of Hangman's promo where he, you know, made the jab at the Maspiratory Bret Hart match thing. But other than that, like this really got me into this match. I'm really excited to see this match now. Yeah, and there's one thing that you touched on that doesn't is is kind of related to this match. I I there were two subtle hints that got brought up last night on Dynamite that I feel like are kind of setting the stage not for the upcoming pay-per-view but the forbidden door pay-per-view uh i'm not i don't think kenta should be wrestling cm punk but i can't say that's beyond tony khan to book that match Mm -hmm. as you pointed out you know a subtle little jab like that does kenta come out and cost cm punk the match um i hope not i hope not too but i i don't know the other little subtle thing was later on in the night chris jericho i think referred to himself as the ace of AEW or something like that Mm. maybe yeah so yeah. I don't know. Just two things I picked up on. Yeah. I, I mean, the ace thing could be, you know, a nod to Tanahashi too, but I know this past weekend you had the Capital Collision pay-per-view that was 
A, a very good show, by the way, if you haven't checked that out on Fight TV. Uh, between Moxley, Osprey, Juice Robinson, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And there's still a story left between those four. So maybe Tanahashi is involved in that. And maybe there's a rematch in Chicago with those four. I don't know. But wouldn't be surprised if they go Hangman versus Tanahashi too. Yeah. But let's get back to Double or Nothing. A match announced and set for Double or Nothing is for the AEW Tag Team Championship. We're going to get the Jurassic Express versus Ricky Starks at Powerhouse Hobbs versus um, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. After Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee take care of the workhorsemen very quickly, Keith Lee jumps on the mic, announcing that the team of Lee and Swerve are now in the top five. That brings Starks and Hobbs out to interrupt, saying that they should be the tag team title contenders. That brings out Jurassic Express. Christian does all the talking. He says, we're going to do something out of the box. We're going to challenge you guys to a triple threat at double or nothing. N not really out of the box, seeing that the last pay-per-view, they had to defend them in a triple threat match, and they've defended against people by issuing a challenge of people that are not top ranked. So not exactly out of the box, but still, I get what he's trying to do here. Um, but not only that, next week on the go-home show to Double or Nothing, we're getting a triple threat match where Jungle Boy will face Ricky Starks and Swerve Strickland to try to get Jungle Boy's win back because he lost to Starks thanks to Swerve. Um, I, I like the camera work when Christian's talking and the placement of Jungle Boy in this because the entire time, Jungle Boy's looking at Christian and like at the same time where he's like, yeah, I'm excited for this match, he also has the look of, what are you doing? Don't put me in a triple threat match where the odds are against me to lose. Yeah, and that that kind of sets the table for what many people could be suspecting. One of two things. One, Christian turns heel. He turns on them. Yes. And, or two, maybe Jungle Boy ends up, maybe they lose the titles and Jungle Boy turns heel. I And that gives him an opportunity to draw out some personality because from yes. what, so many times we've seen in pro wrestling history, it's just from what everybody says, easier to work as a heel. He, you know, he's not the most charismatic guy. He's not bad, but he's certainly not known for his promo ability. Right. Um, the other odd thing in this whole thing is uh, that the champions are the ones chasing a match when normally you'd have the challengers like, cha like chasing the titles. Yeah, I, no, I get like what you're Christian, saying. There. Christian was the guy to draw the line in the sand and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could also be setting the table for a Christian heel turn. But um, nonetheless, I thought uh, this, this is a match that I'm certainly interested in seeing. I don't remember if it was Swerve or Keith Lee who called him. Um, he said Ricky Starks came out dressed like he was, was a bar Swerve. of soap. Yeah. Yes, that uh, was Swerve. So that, was, uh, that was a good line. Um, that was a very good line. You know, and I, I actually, for the squash match that it was, I thought they actually looked really good and the workhorsemen made them look really good in that tag match. I just wish there was more time on TV for these guys to at least showcase them a little bit more before they're just thrown into this tag team championship match. Yeah. Starks yeah. and Hobbs, we've seen them enough where it's like, all right, we like them. Let's give them a title shot. And it's... I don't know if it's a foregone conclusion that Jurassic Express wins, but maybe they're trying to maybe rectify the Keith Lee major announcement by putting him in this tag with, with Swerve. Now he gets into the tag team championships and maybe they pull the upset and win the tag team championships. And maybe that's the way they build up Keith Lee. 
And you know what's almost weird with AEW? It's kind of like, because they know their core fan base is so invested in the product that they think that, and maybe rightfully so, to a certain extent, they believe that their fan base will just kind of be invested in people that are champions because, Mm -hmm. you know, when's the last time we really saw Jurassic Express do anything of significance like on dynamite uh when's the last time we saw thunder rosa actually do something that was like damn that's why she's the champion when's the last time we saw uh scorpio sky do anything significant other than on like rampage so they're so busy like having these tournaments and building up people like adam cole who's not a champion and you know you have to do that but there certainly should be a balance i think sometimes that AEW is just willing to be like okay this guy's a champion we, we solidified him. We could put him in the back burner while we develop him. I think it should be the other way around. Fo- shows should be focused around your champions and this other background stuff should go on to kind of progress things and kind of build somebody up or a team up to get to the point where it's like you're, cha- you're ready to challenge for a title. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's like the reverse of that. But Yeah, but I, I think every promotion kind of does that where like they try to build people up that aren't champions just because they could be showcased more because they don't necessarily need the championship. It's that argument. Does the belt make the wrestler or does it make the wrestler make the belt kind of thing? So AEW is not the only one that falls for uh, fault to that. WWE obviously does that. Ricochet, when was the last well, time he was really a known factor? Everything that's happened with Sasha and Naomi and the women's tag team division, that whole thing. So AEW is not the only one at fault there, but you know, One thing that is for certain when it comes to building someone that doesn't have a championship, the way they are building Wardlow, man, Mm -hmm. Wardlow has become arguably the most over wrestler on the AEW roster. And it continued last night with this 10 lashes. And they did this perfectly, I think. If you were looking for an overdramatic segment like they did with Cody and MJF a couple years ago, you're going to be disappointed. This segment was short, sweet, progressive storyline. It gave heat to MJF and gave shine to Wardlow. It's all it needed to do just by the sheer fact that Wardlow did not sell any of those lashes until he got kicked in the balls. Absolutely. And, you know, Let's go. I'll talk about the segment first. Uh, they are doing everything right with Wardlow. Um, if his weakness is his ability to talk on the mic, they're eliminating that while still making him look like a badass. Everything from being handcuffed to being walked in with security, the way that he was kept outside last night and the garage door open to kind of reveal him. Everything. Everything. His look, his appearance, his size, his athleticism. Here's the thing you've invested so much in developing him. So many people, MJF, I got to assume he's going over MJF for him not to go over. We might look at, look back on this and say, this could be one of the biggest blunders in wrestling history because this guy is one of the most over guys. Uh, generically, like you talk about like a, a guy that came into AEW with no hype just to get over to that ability or to that level, I should say. That's not just hard in AW, that's hard in wrestling, period. So, like, what do you do with him? I think he's got to be MJF, as much as that's going to pain people to, 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 to admit, because MJF is MJF and he's great, and it seems like he unfortunately loses out on so many of his feuds. Mm-hmm. 
But what's after that? Like, when is he ready for a title shot? He's one of those guys that I think strike while the iron's hot. See what you got with him. Put the belt on him and see what happens. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think that the problem is neither one could really afford to lose in this feud. So maybe they kind of booked themselves in a corner in this situation. But I think actually MJF benefits more from the win than Wardlaw because as a heel, you have the out. And especially with Sean Spears, you have the out of Wardlow losing without having him get lose momentum. You could find a way. And, it, and this is honestly, this is the, this is the way you prevent that. Whatever happens in the match happens in the match. It could be saved by the entrance of Wardlow. How they present his entrance at double or nothing can really determine how his momentum goes after double or nothing win or lose. Because I I've heard people pitch, obviously, MJF's calling him War Pig. Yeah. There's a, a very famous rock song by Black Sabbath called War Pigs. It's got this very slow, dramatic buildup to start the song. And then you hit you have that first guitar riff from Tony Iommi. And then that's it. So if you build this up like a Goldberg-esque entrance, have him walk out from the locker room during that slow build of the song. And as he gets to the ramp, have him in the handcuffs. And then when that guitar riff hits, he breaks open the handcuffs and you have pyro go off. Yes, this sounds like sports entertainment. Yes, this sounds like something WWE would do. But the crowd would eat the living shit out of that. You have to do it that way. Even if he loses, that entrance right there puts him over. Even if he has, they have like a five-minute match, he beats the crap out of NJF. Sean Spears gets involved. MJF sneaks out with the win. Wardlow's still over. That's how I think it should be done. Does it get done? I don't know because they still have to buy the rights of the song. It's yeah. all about timing. It's not exactly the easiest thing to, to do, especially live, but if they can make that work. Wardlow's is Golden. bulletproof at that point. See, see th that, that video, I'm assuming you saw the video that's been going around Twitter with Wardlow being promoted with that song, yes. right? Okay. Yes. So I watched that. And there were a couple of things that went through my mind. I agree with you 100%. I, I, would, I don't know how much the royalties to that song would be, but I'm sure it's a lot of money. Mm, he, yeah. could use it, he could use it for pay-per-views, special occasions. Uh, I, you know, a couple guys throughout history, I think, have had different theme songs or special. Triple H has had like five different ones. So <laughs> right. it's not unheard of. But stuff like that like, helps solidify the importance of somebody because, number one, who doesn't know that song? It's something that's shareable. So if that were to be on YouTube or somewhere and people shared it, people would be like, oh my God, look at this badass. The other thing I thought of is they have a couple of good big men there that work behind the scenes at AW, Mark Henry and Big Show. Mm -hmm. They need to get in his air and tell him how a big man should work and how a big man should get heat and how a big man should get over. WWE has tons of people like that backstage and they've had people like that throughout their history where... Hey, we got this guy. He's green, but he's big. He's got some size. Teach him the right way to work. Wardlow can be, to me, like, I don't know Wardlow's ceiling, but you give a guy with that look, that size, the athleticism, 
and a, a, a theme song, if they give him that theme song, I, it might not be unheard of to say that he's their next big star. Like he, maybe he's the next big star in wrestling. I don't know, but right. you never really see these things coming. It's just like whatever, whoever does the right thing, has the right look, says the right thing, the right pyro, the right entrance. And right now, Wardlow seems like a guy that can take that next, next step, at least right now. Right. So I think Double or Nothing is going to be a huge moment. That's probably the match I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, story, the story's there. And I, I think both of them could have a great match, even if it ends up being like an absolute squash where Warlow just destroys MJF. I would be thoroughly entertained because of just how great of a heel MJF is where you just have to hate this guy and you just want him to get his ass kicked. So if yeah. Wardlow literally does five minutes of a powerbomb symphony, the crowd will eat that up, I think. And that's another part of like how he could be that next star. It's very like, I know I bring up comparisons with Goldberg a lot and it's very weird considering I'm not a fan of Goldberg, but it's very Goldberg-esque where People just wanted to see him spare people, jackhammer people, and go home. Mm -hmm. Wardlow right now, you want to see him powerbomb people, pin, go home. That's it. And the, the unique thing with him is they don't have a lot of guys doing that in EW. No. They don't have a lot of big guys that are dominating matches like that. And if they do have big guys, some of them try to work like lightweights. So, mm -hmm. no. Make this guy original. Make this guy your it factor guy. Like in... If he goes over MJF, I'm saying put him in a title match and let him win the title and see what happens. Why the hell not? Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. Maybe the TNT title. I would, maybe the world title might be a little too early for him, but at the same time, that could be the same as, as Strowman. When Strowman had all right. that momentum and WWE was like, no, you're not ready. And by the time they thought he was ready, it was way too late. So maybe... Tony Khan looks at that and goes, listen, here's my Strowman. I'm going to rectify this. Warlow's going to get a rocket strapped to him. And, yeah. you know, but then again, if he gets the, the big push, it might end up being like Luger, where it was like, now that people realize he's getting that push, it just doesn't connect. Who knows? That's the weird thing about this. You say now, push him to the moon, but as soon as he gets it, he could fall flat. Or Tony Khan might be like, no, you're not ready yet. And then by the time he thinks he's ready, he's either way past due or he's in WWE. Who knows? I'll tell you two, I'll tell you two guys, and this is the last point I make. These two guys, both MJF and Wardlow, when their contracts are up, number one, Vince, I'm, I guarantee you, has all eyes on Wardlow just for the look and size alone. Yes. Uh, MJF is showing his ability to just build a story have you truly hate him? Like not just what he's doing on TV, but the stuff he does on Twitter. Um, and that's, that's a rarity now, in, mm -hmm. especially in wrestling, like to, to be able to have a genuine face who's over and a heel who people are actually booing. Yeah. Both of them to make this, and Tony Khan should get credit for it too, because he's obviously the guy that's at least allowing this to go, them to go out there and book this and say certain things. Yes. So, um, yeah, this is one of the things that's just really clicking for them. Right. And that's part of the reason why fans will give him the Booker of the Year award. I mean, stuff like this has worked very, very well. So props to him. And you know who gets a lot of praise, Ralph? Manscaped gets a lot of praise. And they're supporting the Squared Circle Cycle Babble. And Manscaped is the best men's below-the-waist grooming. 
with their products that are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They're sponsoring the Squared Circle Cycle Babble. They also have the performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SCPB20 at manscaped.com. I mean, you got the performance package 4.0. It is an absolute game changer. If you're watching on YouTube, you see the package here to my right. You got the lawnmower 4.0 and the weed whacker nose and ear trimmer, the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver toner, also the boxer briefs. I can't show those because I'm wearing those right now. And also the travel bag to hold all those goodies in. The lawnmower 4.0, I mean, it's the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm not just saying that because the script says so. I firmly believe it. It definitely is better than me trying to use a razor. Trust me, that thing is not designed for that area. It's designed for your face, so don't try it. Get the lawnmower 4.0 instead. It's got it's it's waterproof. It's got the cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce those nicks and cuts. Uh, it also got that spotlight, 400k LED for that more precise shave. You know the the weed whacker. That's also waterproof, and it's got that propriety skin safe technology, which also helps reduce those nicks, snags, and tugs for those delicate nose and ear holes. The, the crop preserver, ball deodorant, and crop reviver will uh, change your approach for your hygiene routine. And trust me, fellas, when I say your balls will thank you. So it's time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping with the code SCPB20. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SCPB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. SCPB20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, let's move on to the Owen Hart tournament, the last match in the quarterfinals. Kyle O'Reilly versus Ray Phoenix. I mean, if you were looking for a good match with two guys with contrasting styles, this match was definitely it. You have the submission ground and pound of Kyle O'Reilly versus the high flying luchador style of Ray Phoenix. I mean, very, very good match. I love the work of the arm by O'Reilly, the, uh, the high-flying offense by Ray Phoenix doing his tope suicidas into the railing. All that stuff was good. I love the, the balance of the two styles, but we did get O'Reilly ending up getting the win here with the arm bar. He advances, faces Samoa Joe next week for the chance to face uh, eventually Adam Cole for that Owen Hart tournament finals. I thought this was a good match. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good match too, as you pointed out. The the contrast in styles, uh, surprising. The ending did surprise me with the the submission, but um, yeah, I mean, at least sets the table for Samoa Joe and Kyle O'Reilly, which I think should be a good match as well. Um, it should, but I mean, at, once I saw O'Reilly win, I felt like with Samoa Joe getting attacked earlier in the night, I'm like, are they going to make Kyle O'Reilly win this thing? And then it's Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly in the finals wow. at double or nothing. So they're trying to make that like Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, like NXT feud for a week. I, I, but then again, what we saw to close out the show, which we'll get into in a minute. I, I just don't know what they're going to do here. It's not exactly an easy Samoa Joe's winning or it's easy. Kyle O'Reilly's winning. I think. Well, I guess that's kind of what you want. Um, right. 
I I did kind of think after last night that they might try to go with Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole because there was a history there. So right, at least keeps it interesting and unfortunate. Pe- unfortunate for certain people because so many people like to say NXT sucked back when they were competing, and it's like, well, if it was sucked that bad, why are you going back to those types of matches? But right, and considering that three out of the four in the semifinals were part of NXT, couldn't suck that much. Yeah. Right. But uh, I mean, like I said, good match between the two contrasting styles. But let's head on to the next segment here. Jericho and his Appreciation Society do a face to face with the Blackpool Combat Club, Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz. This was an interesting segment because it's this whole sports entertainment versus pro wrestling thing. And yet the entire story has been built about sports entertainment, really. It's been mostly sports entertainment to build this story, yet it's this whole negative connotation to the term sports entertainment. Yeah, and it, I mean, the writing was on the wall where they were going with this. It's pro wrestling against sports entertainment and that whole thing. And uh, I don't know, man. We've been over this so many times with, okay, there's not really that much of a difference, but Moxley's in there talking about you know, we're pro wrestlers and people are getting upset because Jericho brought up the past of Moxley and William Regal, which I'm sure he got consent to do. I don't think he just go out right. there and say something like that. So, right. I mean, do I think that first of all, Jericho Appreciation Society, uh, t- two of those, what, five members? Yes, I, there's five. I, I, I still don't know their names and I don't think I ever will care enough about them to know their names. I just know them as the two guys that came from NXT. Squarehead, one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I um, know it's 2.0. And honestly, I forgot what the... Oh, uh, Everrise in N- NXT. Yeah. They were Everrise. Yeah, I can't, you know, re- I can't remember their names. I know it was Chase Parker and Matt Lee, I think. Or maybe uh, it's Matt Lee. Now, I can't remember. I honestly can't remember their names. When I tell you I legitimately have no idea what their names are on the show, and it's bad because we have a podcast and I should know, I have no idea what their names are. Um, but do I think that a majority of these people could be utilized a little bit better? Moxley, Brian Danielson, absolutely. Eddie Kingston, Proud and Powerful, um, Jericho. Yeah, I think that these guys can probably be utilized a little bit better than a few between these two groups. but. I guess they're doing this just for the sake of getting people on the card. I, I don't know. So it was an all right segment. I don't, I'm not into the Jericho appreciation society. Jericho can pretty much make the best out of anything he's involved with. And last night he cut a good promo, but I just am not into the group. See, I think what it is, is they're trying to prove that in order to be over in the wrestling business, you need to be a sports entertainer which is kind of the hypocrisy of this whole thing. And Jericho even pointing out hypocrisies of, oh, Regal is an addict, but then pointing out uh, Brian Danielson as straight edge that, oh, you, you know, eventually you're going to, you know, drink yeah, the yeah. bottle. And then he's trying to turn the script on Moxley because he went to rehab to correct those addictions. And then you have the whole, oh, we're a team. Kingston hates Brian Danielson and Danielson hates Eddie Kingston. And they just shrugged it off. It was a very, like it worked storyline wise, but at the same time, 
is this what's best for everyone involved? Yes, and I think yes and no. Again, I feel proud and powerful are taking the back burner in a storyline with Chris Jericho, though. Well, and this well, has been their problem since they started in AEW. And, and the other thing I'll say is this: the, the Blackpool, Black, Blackpool Combat Club didn't really get involved in this whole thing until what last week? Last week. So. If you're one of those people that doesn't watch AEW on a weekly basis, you would at least have known that Jericho Appreciation Society was feuding with Eddie Kingston and whatever group he had with him. Right. And then you watch this week and you're like, wait, how the hell did these guys get involved with it? And now we're fast tracking it to a pay-per-view match. And I don't know. I, I Of course I, I want to watch it, but... I will say... One thing I really liked in this was when Jericho was setting up the challenge for Stadium Stampede and Moxley yes. just interrupted him. He's like, nope, 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 not doing it. Not yep. doing that shit. We're doing this. If we're going to do this, we're going to do gang warfare, lots of violence. You know, we have this arena full of people. We don't need to do gimmicky shit anymore. Let's, you know, fight for what we want. And this is pro wrestling, not that sports entertainment bullshit, which, you know, not a fan of the whole pro wrestling sports entertainment thing. Cause I think they are exactly the same thing. People can disagree with me all they want. The only difference is there are other forms of sports entertainment, but pro wrestling is sports entertainment. So yeah. that's the only difference there. But, uh, it's just ironic that they're actually building this match with sports entertainment for a pro wrestling match, yep. even though they're no, anti-sports entertainment. So it's, it's a very ironic storyline. But speaking of comedy in wrestling, Ralph, the other Joker was revealed in the women's tournament oh, and the IWC loved it. I don't know if the crowd loved it as much as the social media did. And that was Maki Ito. She comes out, she's doing her sing along thing. And I could just see the blank stares in this match throughout this match. And there was a point in the match where there was a back and forth of let's go Maki DMD going on, but it was weird because I didn't see one mouth move during that chant. I don't know where that was. So I, I mean, ultimately Brit wins. Most of this match was done in picture in picture. We saw Maki Ito hit herself in the turnbuckle, uh, headbutting herself. <laughs> And that was it. I mean, if you're into that stuff, you're into that stuff. I'm not going to say there's no part, there's no comedy in wrestling. I'm not one of those guys. I personally was like, you know what? I'm flipping over to watch the Rangers and her. Oh shit. They lost in overtime. I got to switch back to this now. That's how I felt with this match. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with any of these, uh, major, so, well, I say major loosely, but with any of these surprises, you got to try to uh, keep your expectations low, I think, because you never really know what you're going to get. For mm -hmm. some people, this was amazing. For the hardcore right. fan base for AW that has been watching and is going to eat up anything they do, I'm sure they love this surprise. I am not in that group. I don't care for the Makito loud, obnoxious entrance. I'm not into it. I... ah. If you had enjoyed it, good for you. More power to you. Not, right. not for me. Right. I, I think as the match went on, though, like she did get some of the crowd. So there's obviously some connection there with some fans. So I'm not going to be one that says she has no business in the ring or she's ruining the business or whatever. 
She's nah. entertaining. So that's all I care about. You know, if you're entertaining, you could stay on TV as long as you like. I personally was not connecting with it, but I, that doesn't mean she can't connect with anybody. So, uh, but this wasn't the last women's segment that we got on AEW Dynamite. After that match, we got a what was supposed to be an interview with Tony Schiavone and Serena Deeb turned into a promo on Tony Schiavone, then on Dustin Rose because they both picked Thunder Rosa to win at Double or Nothing. Serena is pulling the I got no respect type promo, calling some things out with her time in WWE, like saying she had to get breast implants and shaving her head to get respect from WWE. Still didn't get that. And then Dustin doesn't have the balls to tell Serena to her face that she can't win. This precedes Thunder Rosa to come out. Deeb knocks her out with the belt. And that was basically the, the storyline. Um, I think the, the premise of it was good. I give it A for effort for trying to actually put a storyline together with this. I just think the execution was not the best way to execute this. I think a better way to do this was a sit-down interview with Serena Deeb and JR. Okay. Yeah, I, I maybe that could have worked a little bit better as they could have maybe produced it a little better. I mean, there were Serena Deeb's um her delivery was good, I think. I think the points she made were good. I think that this was probably the most character that we've seen out of her maybe mm -hmm. ever at least from what I've seen, yeah. which is good because you you need that raw emotion for people to get invested in because I'm sure that for those people that hate uh, WWE, this is going to resonate with them them really well. So right. Um. So 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 that part of it, I think, was good. Um. I I liked it. I liked the segment. I thought it was good. I thought, like I said, I thought it brought more character to her. So I think that's desperately needed. Not just okay. Uh, well, Thunder Rose is a really good wrestler, and uh, Jamie Hayter, you guys are going to have a match because uh, fans just know you're good, and there's not really a story to it. This will actually give fans something to be invested in more than just like okay it's a good match on paper which i think is definitely needed especially in the women's division right i think part of the problem though is the fact that this storyline really has been put on the back burner like i know they're they did that that stage back and forth promo a couple weeks ago they had a video segment and then this but i felt like if they actually put these two on tv more where basically their story was them one-upping each other in different matches where like they faced similar opponents and like, you know, Serena D was doing that five minute challenge thing or whatever. So maybe it's one week Serena D beats this person in five minutes and then Thunder Rosa beats her in four minutes, like a beat yeah. the clock challenge kind of thing. And then it's like deep wins with a sharpshooter and then Thunder Rosa wins with it. Like, there's always like a one-upsmanship in this. That could have been another way to tell this story without them actually fighting all the time. And it's not just, oh, it's going to be a good match. Why is it going to be a good match? And it doesn't necessarily have to be promo and promo and promo. You could build it up through matches. But the fact that Thunder Rosa has been champion since, uh, you know, the week of St. Patrick's Day, and they really haven't featured her that much, that's alarming to me. Well, not only have they not featured her, but as you pointed out, a lot of Serena Deeb's accomplishments haven't necessarily happened on Dynamite. That whole beat the clock challenge thing yep. mostly happened on Rampage. And despite mm -hmm. what anybody wants to say, 
there's less eyeballs on Rampage. So not everybody's as invested in that right. show. So if you want somebody to feel special or like they're able to contend, then they should be winning or at least made to feel like they're special on Dynamite. There's not a week, not a single week that goes by where Jade Cargill doesn't feel like she's somebody of importance because mm-hmm. they make it a point to feature her on Dynamite week in, week out. It could be a, like this past week, it was a 30-second thing. She made her presence known. She told Tony Schiavone, uh, Cut the what shit. did she say to her? Cut the shit. Tony. Yeah, and, and she was it, and that was done. But at least like she's in the forefront of people's mind where if things are happening on Dark or the, you're progressing storylines on Rampage or on YouTube or wherever else these things may happen, that's fine for the hardcore fans, but not everybody's paying attention to all that stuff. It's mm-hmm. got to happen on Dynamite. Right. Uh, I agree. I think especially with less than two weeks from the pay-per-view and right now, this is one of, I think four or five announced matches, two of them being the Owen Hart finals. So we don't even know who's going to be in that. And you know, so you have MJF and Warlow, you have Hangman and Punk, and then this match outside of those other two. So, you know, gotta, gotta build that up a little bit. And I know they announced some other matches tonight. So I mean, I felt like it's it's procrastinating booking by Tony Khan. So there's times where he's like a really, really good booker, but then there's times like this where it's like, mm, got to do a little bit better. And it's it's been the women's division ever since AEW started. It always feels like, for some reason, they just don't get the attention that the others do. And I don't understand why. Perhaps it's right. just because the ratings just show that they don't draw as well. So why even bother presenting them as much to even try to get them to higher levels. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, the main event, speaking of the Owen Hart tournament, Adam Cole does advance to the finals after a win with Jeff Hardy. Earlier in the night, we had this backstage segment with the Bucks and Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy, who Jeff was cleared to compete. The Bucks come in. We're like, you know what? Maybe you're too old for this. Just let Adam Cole take the win here. Yada, yada, yada. Matt Hardy's like, uh, you know, if you try to get involved, we will kick your ass. Adam Cole wins clean. It was a short match. A lot of it was in picture and picture again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think more people are talking about what happened at the end of the match and after the match anyway. So the Bucks come out. They look like they're going to super kick Jeff from behind. Jeff catches them in the act. But then Adam Cole attacks Jeff from behind. Then that becomes a three on one assault. Matt tries to come in. He's getting attacked. Uh, Red Dragon also come in to, you know, par- partake in the beatdown. But then Sting and Darby come in for the save. It gets very chaotic. But really the closing shot is Sting gets pilmanized by Kyle O'Reilly. And then the show just ends abruptly because they went two minutes over. So they're just like, we're out of time. And then the American Dad intro starts. So well, they were they my, they go we're out we're out of time, but uh, at the beginning of the match, Tony Shivani says, "We'll we'll stay as long as we need to stay." So obviously, they you didn't actually get the permission to stay as long as you needed to stay. So right, but but I will say I actually like the chaoticness of this. Is that a word? Chaoticness? Maybe not. But anyway, I like the chaos of it. There we go. The chaos of it and the fact that they kind of abruptly ended like that. Makes me like, oh crap, what's going to happen next week? And that's something both Raw, SmackDown, and, and AEW 
we haven't really had that feeling in a while with any of these wrestling shows because they end with a match, the match ends, copyright, and then fade to black. Yeah. This is like, oh my God, what, like, no, don't, don't. I, there, you gotta have more time. Extend the feed. Extend the feed. We need to see more of this. What happened to Sting? What happened to Kyle O'Reilly after taking that devastating chair shot to the face? Like, no. But and then of course with the cliffhanger ending, it's like, wait, where's this leading to? Is it leading to the Bucks and the Hardys, or is this leading to the Bucks and Red Dragon versus the Hardys, Sting and Darby? Is is Sting even going to be okay to compete? And if not. Does someone take the fourth slot? Like, we need answers, damn it. And I actually like that. That's a great cliffhanger ending for Dynamite this week. Yeah, so the the ending, I was a fan of the match itself. I was not. I felt like for a match like that, Adam Cole and Jeff Hardy, it, well, first of all, it was the main, main event of the night, and it might have got the least amount of time only behind the Britt Baker match. So... Yeah, most, like you said, most of the match, ha- it was like match started. There was a commercial. They came back. I felt like they exchanged some moves and then that was it. He hit the knee and he pinned him. So, right. Um, you know, that kind of stunk. Uh, not surprised I, I, Adam Cole won though. Right. I think the problem there is just simply because this is just, they tried to cram everything into this show so much that like things just, fell by the wayside or got cut for time because of it. And you have a pay-per-view in less than two weeks, but not the car. The whole card's not filled out. Some matches still don't even know what you're doing. So it's like, Oh crap. Let me cram as much of it in now, because if we only have a week to build it, that yeah. doesn't really help sell pay-per-views. So I, I like, like I said before, procrastinating booking, I think by Tony Khan a lot in this show. And while it was a good show and there were some good matches in it, there's still some things to look at and be like, maybe this could have got taken out. Maybe this should have been set up a little bit earlier, maybe a couple weeks ago instead of just now. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are still going to buy the pay-per-view regardless because of sure. Warlow and MJF, Hangman and CM Punk. But maybe you could have got even more if you build up some of these stories a little bit earlier than just, oh crap, like we need to start building these matches because we got less than a week. And you you know, one important thing I think to point out is you got two tournaments going on with yes. a lot of matches. So with limited amount of TV time, especially at the beginning of the tournament, that's a lot of matches that you, you have to have. You can't cut those matches if uh, it's a part of a tournament to dictate kind of who goes on to the next round. So as you got closer to the end of this, I mean, even last night, there was what, two matches or no, four matches? Four, four the, matches yeah. dedicated. Yeah, four matches dedicated just to the two tournaments. So, you know, that's that's a lot of TV time. So, yeah, that means less time for promoting championship matches and feuds and development of other stars and stuff. So, um, you know, maybe next time you stagger the tournaments, you don't have them, the men's and the women. It's maybe you do the men's, then you do the women's or something. I don't know. But. Right. Obviously, the big match for Double or Nothing is CM Punk versus Hangman Page. I think CM Punk should win that match, become the new AEW champion. Click the thumbnail on the screen to find out why I think that is the case. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble.